0: Welcome to Moving with the Pen. I'm Joe Williams. In this podcast, I'm tracing the human gesture of writing, from first thoughts to the final page. Listen on for interviews and interdisciplinary side quests, experiment and reflection, strangeness and laughter. Whether you want to breathe new life into your art, or you're just trying to get to sleep. Make yourself at home. tree of meaning forms this podcast. If you want to be a pen friend of the podcast, I'll write to you and share what I learned from tending it. The links that emerge between the conversations. The insights that blossom after them. I'll let you know about opportunities to write together as they come up, whether that be free workshops or long course deep dives. Go to movingwiththepen.com penfriend and enter your email to make it happen. Hannah Moore is a storyteller, social dance leader, and a restorative justice practitioner. I met her at a community event in my hometown of Nailsworth, and I was impressed by the intensity and commitment with which she told. I had to find out what brought her to do what she does. Here is the conversation we had a few weeks afterwards, about the insides of her craft, rediscovering empathy when we've lost it, and the image as the crossing point of recognition between personal experience and what we are able to share. She tells two stories during the conversation, one about a monkey getting into trouble one about two soldiers from opposing armies, helping each other to get out of it.
1: Joe, shall I tell you the story of Monkey and Papa God?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> hmm.
1: Once upon a time, there was an old woman. She lived in a cottage in the forest, and she kept bees. If you looked out of the windows of her cottage, beehive after beehive after beehive and always that buzz, the music of her garden. This old woman had a big pot and she would collect honeycomb out of those hives into her pot until the pot was almost brimming with shining honey. When the pot was full, It went on to her head and she set off through the forest to take it to market. But one day, as she made that journey, it was a fine summer's day and the air was full of birds and blossom and her eye was caught by something full of lush red petals so she didn't see the tree root in her path. So distracted was she by the flowers, her foot caught. And she stumbled and the pot crashed to the floor. Shards of pot and streams of honey went everywhere. And the old woman gazed down at that this disaster. And then she gazed up at the sky. And she raised her fist. Oh, Papa God! Oh, Papa God, why do you give me so much trouble? Why do you give me so much trouble, Papa God? And she looked at the pot and the streams of honey and there was nothing doing, so she stomped off home, muttering to herself. But someone had been watching. From high in the tree above, Monkey had seen all of this. And Monkey was curious. She came down. She came closer. She dipped one paw in this golden, sticky, runny stuff. And it smelled kind of nice. And it tasted kind of nice. And Monkey ate a little bit more and a little bit more and Oh, it was so delicious. Before she could stop herself, Monkey had her paws, paws deep in all the honey, and she was eating and she was licking her paws and her belly was getting full and her fur was getting covered in honey and it was so, so sweet. It was the best thing Monkey had ever tasted and there was hardly a drop left on the floor by the time Monkey was done. Monkey was stuffed full of sweet goodness, but she wanted more. She wanted more of this sticky, delicious, golden stuff. And she remembered the old woman. She remembered the old woman shaking her fist at the sky. Papa God, why do you give me so much trouble? And Monkey thought, trouble is delicious. I love trouble. I've not had it before and now I have had some. I just want more and more and more. So Monkey set off. She set off climbing all the way up to heaven. She climbed and she climbed and she climbed with her sticky paws higher and higher and higher up into the sky, into the clouds, to the cloud palace of Papa God. Papa God with his big belly and his big face and his broad beaming smile. Hello, monkey. What brings you all the way up here, a monkey, big eyes shining up at Papa God. Papa God, I've had some trouble and it was the best thing ever. And I really want more, so I've come to ask you for more trouble, please. Papa God was a little confused. Trouble, monkey. You want trouble? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. I've had some and it was the best thing and I just really, really, really need some more, Papa God. I'm not going anywhere until you give me more trouble. And Monkey wouldn't take no for an answer. And Papa God was left with no choice. He went into his house, came back out with a bag tightly tied at the top. Monkey, if you're really sure you want trouble... Here is a bag full. Take it down. Go out into the desert far from where there are any trees. And if you open this bag, you'll have trouble aplenty. Well, Monkey, her mouth was already watering at the thought of a whole bag full of sticky, delicious, tasty, golden trouble. She snatched it out of Papa God's hands, said thank you and goodbye under one arm, clutched the bag tight and made her way all the way back down. Her tummy was rumbling. Her tongue was ready to eat the trouble. And she ran and she ran and she ran and she ran out into the desert, far from any trees. When Monkey was out, in that empty plain, she put down the bag. She untied it. And what do you think was in there? Trouble for monkeys. As Monkey opened that bag, pairs of deadly eyes, teeth like salivating death. Out of that bag leapt six starving, hungry dogs, and Monkey went. Aah! And the dogs went, and the monkey shot across the desert, and the dogs were hot on her heels. And she was running, and she was running, and she was running, and she was running, but she was in the middle of the desert where there are no trees. And those dogs were hungry, and they were fast. They were snapping at Monkey's tail. They were right behind her. And just as the closest dog was about to close his jaws on Monkey, out of nowhere, a great tree shot into being. A tree shot into being in front of Monkey and she leapt onto it. Monkey leapt onto that tree and she climbed for her life up and up and up and up into the branches. And we all know that thankfully dogs can't climb. Monkey sat trembling in the top of the tree and the dogs were around the bottom looking up at Monkey and snarling and snapping their jaws but she was safe. All day, Monkey stayed, huddled in that tree, and as the sun went down, the dogs got a bit bored. The dogs got even hungrier, they got tired, and they slunk away. When she was sure she was safe, Monkey quietly crept down to the floor, scurried back across that desert, and ran for safety in the trees of her home. And I can't tell you whether monkey ever got her paws on some real honey and knew it again for what it was, or if honey and trouble stayed as a troubled memory. But I do know that no one, not even greedy monkeys, deserve quite as much trouble as that.
0: Hannah Moore, welcome to the podcast
1: Thank you, It's <laughs> very lovely to be here
0: <laughs> Awesome, yeah, the podcast has materialised again in a house in Horsley mm. This strange concept called podcast lives again somehow
1: Yeah, yeah it is
0: Yeah, and um, we're um, going to try to talk about storytelling mm. and all the life that lives under it and in it. Um, I met you through community connections um, around Nailsworth. I saw you tell locally and I was struck by the intensity of moments that you create when you tell. I remember sitting in Horsley village hall at the moment Baba Yaga was about to say something, (laughs) and this moment just grew and grew, and it was a bit like that psychedelic moment when whatever's about to happen... Is about to happen, and the about to happenness of it is the beginning of it happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! <laughs>
1: and Something you go, has okay, just happened, <laughs> okay, I,
0: you know. So help me God, I am ready for this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bring it on! <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Um, and then I attended um, a bizarrely ambitious and wonderful thing. Where you told a story over the period of an evening and taught a whole room full of people to dance at the same time.
1: (laughs) The fairy tale (laughs) Kaylee.
0: The fairy tale Kaylee. And this, dear humans, should not work. But somehow it did. Yes. And maybe in talking, we can find out the secret ways that, of course, it would work. (laughs) And you you all along and planned it all perfectly. (laughs) Because, yeah, you, you, yeah. So. Mm.
1: um, I think we were born to play. Okay. And I think any time we get an invitation that somehow is dressed up in a package that means as adults, we allow ourselves to say yes.
0: Okay. Then
1: there's something. Okay. Yeah.
0: So this brings me to a lovely little phrase on your website.
1: Mm.
0: And I'm going to find it to quote it because I really like it.
1: I'm feeling a funny pressure now, Joe, to be like, yes, I am a professional person with a website. (laughs) <laughs> and i shall just accept these things that you say that have being like i've made a website <laughs> this is a very new thing and it's not a disaster so it's so nice
0: <laughs> awesome okay good 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 um yes things that sneakily contain a lot of joy yeah so i recognize this i really recognize this mm. um this need to um, lure people in with a magnificent and noble concept. <laughs>
1: <laughs> something very virtuous and worthy.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And the desperate need to laugh once you get there. Hmm. To laugh so that something is actually possible. <laughs> 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 that it's not frozen or so desperately earnest it sort of digs its own trench in the ground. Yeah. yeah. How is that for you? Sneakily containing joy.
1: Well, I'd like to hear more what you mean first, Joe. Oh it feels God, like you're speaking from a kind of yeah, some specific experiences maybe, or some specific thoughts. So unpack this a bit more. This need to laugh.
0: Mm. Well, I'm trying to get people to speak from out of the cracks and the empty spaces between the things they think they are or that they're worried that they might be I'm trying to get people to do the very unaccustomed thing of letting their mind breathe and recording its breathing Mm -hmm. and earnestness here's what i'm trying to do i'm trying to invite people into a space where the adventure of art is important but who we are is not. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And also, um, That's a nice I answer. am a somewhat awkward, significantly neurodivergent human who achieves things often diagonally or by crabwise motion. Um, and it helps me deal with that while I'm in front of people, uh, which is still an intensely awkward experience for all that I know how to do it. And Mm. people seem to experience me as very confident, Mm. So the laughter lets us out, mm. if that makes sense. The laughter lets us out. Yes. Um, and it comes from that moment of being in a me staring at a you and needing to be let out of that <laughs> quite urgently.
1: <laughs> it feels like it's also part of the mind breathing rather than being boxed.
0: Mm, maybe yeah yeah yeah
1: and i love what you just said Je, about like i can't remember that phrase but essentially like the adventure of art being what matters rather than who we are mm. and i guess i'm i guess that sense of the who we are in terms of who we think we should be or who we yeah feel the pressure to be um but what i take from that is just this sense of like like art creativity play should just happen regardless and we should all be in that sand pit sometimes Mm. preferably as often as possible Mm. um regardless of whether we've climbed into that sand pit wearing the outfit of a particular job or with a particular kind of anything in our identity we just need to get in and play in the sand
0: it all needs to get quite sandy yeah yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) yeah and i think so it's interesting that you've picked up on that line on the website and that you've come back positively because it's one of the bits that I read and go, ah, I'm not sure if that sounds pretentious and poncy and annoying. Um, but I think it's really where I'm trying to also echo something else that's referenced on the website, which is a, it's a friend who has spent a lot of time in South Africa, And she was telling me about an interaction with um, a traditional healer there who was sharing some of the kind of customs that they use. And they were saying around when a community is in conflict or having difficulty as a community, and they ask the medicine people to come in and to help heal or resolve this conflict. Sometimes the healers will start with these questions to the whole community of okay so something's gone wrong here things are not easy between you before we do anything else answer us this when did you last sing together when did you last dance together or tell stories or play games or sit and eat food together and if the community can't remember then it's like okay start there and then come back and if that hasn't sorted it we'll try something else But I think so much of the time, these simple, shared, joyful things, and they, and I guess joy is also there as a word for like, it's not always joyful. depends what you're singing, right? Or it depends the context in which you're dancing or what the story is. The story might not be a story that is all for the best things ever happening. Um, But I think... To spend time creatively it is, on on a deeper level, joyful. Um, and I think there's something around kind of... Also, these things are experiential, and storytelling in particular is really experiential. Like, if I try and tell someone about what it's like to listen to a story doesn't really work Mm. so you just have to get them to sit down and have a listen Mm. um and that's where I think stuff often sort of sneak it feels like it sneakily contains joy it feels like once you're there and doing it quite a high chance you might have a really nice time but the packaging doesn't it's quite hard to package and present that with these things that really are just about living and breathing and doing and relaxing into them
0: yes one sort of has to one has to trick the left brain Mm. into giving up Mm. yeah one has to convince the left brain that this is a wonderful thing to drive to go to sign up to machinate to transport to present into at which point its control has to end
1: Yeah yeah yeah. Um, and then it has to just take itself out of the picture yeah, and allow
0: and, <laughs> like, yeah and and kind of sneaking sneaking in joy is the, is the only way to get that to happen yeah. without infringing on anyone's human rights really.
1: Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> totally that. <laughs> and I but I think also for me Joe like maybe it's just part of what it matters a lot to me that people who come to something I'm doing Feel warmed by it.
0: Yes. Um, The sneaky joy is nothing more and nothing less than the kind guardian of things becoming.
1: That's a lovely phrase. Know what I mean? Tell me more about it.
0: Well, I think that's what you were just speaking about.
1: Hmm. You
0: were speaking from that Hmm. kind guardianship of things becoming. Hmm. I'll take that. <laughs> awesome. Please do. That
1: feels like a that feels like a god who should exist. Mm. and does, I'm sure.
0: Going back to this imaginary community and their imaginary elders. Mm. Here it's imaginary. I don't know the context. Mm. But I imagined as they were asking your imaginary community,
1: mm.
0: or the imaginary community of my head. Mm. there you go. Mm. Mm. Um, have you danced together? Have you shared a meal? Have you told stories together lately? Mm. It's as though it's as though the social body could, in fact go into decline for lack of a few simple nutrients, Mm. as though problems which seem existential, unsolvable, feel like life and death could arise as a result of a lack of a few simple nutrients. Mm. And the only difference Between illness and being well could, in so many cases, be just knowing that those nutrients are vital.
1: Mm. Yeah, that feels like a big thing to speak to, Joan. I guess I guess my my sense of it or my own experience of it is that these things just top us up. Mm. Um it's interesting I sometimes find myself wanting to say that working with story is therapeutic or working with dance is therapeutic and then Being like oh you know i don't have a qualification um as a therapist so this is not that's dodgy ground what you're talking about um and i guess what feels firmer to me is more this sense that when we do these things um we replenish Mm. ourselves a little bit and we can carry wounds and suffer things that need um, deep, deep work that might need to be accompanied by particular professionals or people who have a particular wealth of knowledge and expertise and practice. And then I think there is a, there is also kind of fundamental, but perhaps nearer to the surface layer of well-being, for want of a better word. Again, I don't like it. It feels like a very, um, Almost a bit of a neutered word, well being, sometimes. I think just like food for being alive, that I think these things of whether it's, you know, singing together, dancing together, telling stories, making art, playing, crafting, eating, all of this stuff, there's just such a simple food in it mm. that. I think we can forget how much better we can feel just from doing these things.
0: Mm. Mm. And if you don't have food for being alive, mm. you're going to die before the therapist gets to you. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have food for being alive, mm. then, you know, therapy is a doctor operating on a corpse. Mm. I, I recognise the 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 constant dance of not taking on therapeutic work when you're not a therapist.
1: Yeah.
0: And this is how, this is how we do right Mm. by the people who we come into contact with. Mm. Um, So I honor that. Mm. Um, But perhaps... Perhaps saying it is a top up is limiting it a bit too much. Perhaps yeah. if it was only a top up, it wouldn't have been you worth devoting your life to.
1: <laughs>
0: Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, good question. Why am I? <laughs> giving well, this so, so that, much that could time. lead into a why
0: question, mm. but you know, in this. In this community that needs stories, Mm. which is inside me that I'm imagining and is real, story can enliven, enlighten, soothe and comfort the body, or it can detonate charges Mm. which would otherwise rip the town hall apart it can contain intensities Mm. which if left uncontained will either freeze people or rip out into conflict Mm. and that matters it really matters and i think i think That these arts don't just top us up, they save our asses. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. As much as it is disastrous to try to save someone through the art, mm. that's where the trouble starts. Mm. Mm the commitment to existence that speaks through the art, you know, Mm. the phenomenological commitment to live Mm. through the life of a story, to live through the encounter with a moment and a page Mm. to tell each other of this encounter of that intensity, lightness, Sticky monkey paws, mm-hmm. yeah. dogs yeah. at the bottom of the tree. Mm. Um, that is a commitment to life, mm. without which, without which culture is like a body lacking vital nutrients as simple as they are as non-specialised as they are um, as careful as we must be not to prescribe carrots <laughs> for a brain lesion yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, (laughs) I mean, I don't know, it depends on your carrots, but yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it, it, (laughs) sorry, I'm I'm, I'm doing brain surgery with a carrot for the year now, and and that's why I need to be a poet, not Mm. a surgeon. (laughs) That's my point of referral, as clearly as expressed as I am able this morning, Mm. right? Then it was now, so.
1: But I think yeah, so I guess I can only really speak for myself, Joe, and this question of is it is it just a top up? Or what is it? And I think it's not possible really to label like these any of it, but um if I think about my experience, it is a lot more than that. Mm. So a part of the draw to store like the reason I them in love stories and just want to gobble them um is is because they offer so much like comfort fresh thought new ways of looking at things um guidance wisdom mentorship I guess in a way I think from the from the ancient tales and the stories that have been passed down and survived with that richness of generations of living and experiencing turned into image that we can connect with across the divides of who we are or what our personal circumstances are the images in these stories often give us a meeting place um What I find in that, I guess, is the closest I've probably come to any kind of faith, because I think so often it's a way into exploring mystery and finding a ton of reassurance in there, in some ways. Um, I'm going to try and think of an example now, Joan. I might have to pause for a minute. But, for example, there's a picture over there that's... um, an artwork that was done in response to the Norwegian story of Valamon, the White Bear King. And the image is of the moment in the story when the heroine um, has clung onto the back of the white bear as he runs from her um, because she's messed up and everything has gone wrong and now he must leave her and go to the other sides of the world. And she's clung onto his back until she can't cling anymore and she's fallen onto the forest floor and he is long gone. And she finds herself in the middle of the wilderness with nothing and the images of this moment of her like weighed down by the enormity of this kind of rock bottom bottom moment or that's how i sometimes have felt about it um and then she picks herself up and she walks into the wilderness and There's been something for me in that moment of a huge amount of reassurance of we find ourselves in these times where it's just like, oh, God, everything feels like it's suddenly shattered or fled or gone from my ability to hold. And that is that is something like human after human after human has felt and then the pickup and the wilderness and in the wilderness the finding of the gifts and the connections that lead to the remaking Um, I think what I find again and again with returning to story and the metaphors and the images that are given is it's like whatever right now feels complicated or confusing or like, I'm just in this wash of stuff happening. Um, stories so often provide a kind of anchor point and a sense of yes, and something else will come, or there's a reason for this. I think for me, there's a lot in story that makes it, helps me to make meaning in my own life of what's happening. I said a lot of other things to get to that point. <laughs>
0: That's awesome, though, because Mm. that is an answer deep enough to match the commitment with which I see you appear Mm. in your telling. Mm. So I'm willing to stop bugging you for a minute (laughs) 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 on that count. Yeah. Yeah, Mm. that matches now, Mm. the commitment with which you tell. Yeah. So thank you.
1: Yeah. And I think I love it. I love, <laughs> I love people talking about their lives. And like, you know, as soon as the privilege of hearing people reflect on their own experiences um, is so delicious. And then the conversations that can come when you're both, when, you know, whoever is there is sharing learnings or insights or ideas or possibilities and how story can crack those conversations open. Yes. I really love. Yes. Um so offering the story often, you know, that's a great starting point to then go into this realm of conversational exploration. You know, where where do you find yourself in the story? What moment in the story for you right now feels like the strongest symbol for something you have experienced? Oh, now we're often running into this realm of understanding each other understanding ourselves trying to make any kind of sense of this model that is living mm. um yes i could spend all day there joe mm.
0: <laughs> so this is something you do isn't it you tell stories and then hold discussion afterwards mm. can you say something about the context that you do that in what does the room look like why have yeah. people come how, how does that work
1: so it happens in a I'm doing it in a few different contexts at the moment. Um, and some feel really verdant. Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, and others feel like they need a bit more kind of coaxing and, um, care, but So times recently when it's worked beautifully is, for example. So I also work in restorative justice. I have trained as a restorative justice facilitator, and I do some voluntary work in that for restorative Gloucestershire, which is the local provider. Restorative justice is something that lots of people know about, and lots of people don't. Um, Do you know? For those for those who
0: don't, I think including me, to be honest, in terms of the real how of it, yeah, um, that be that'd be worth characterising. I think.
1: Yeah, sure. So. terms that might be more familiar is things like mediation or conflict resolution and restorative justice expands out, but essentially it's, um, the kind of quick and easy one line thing is it's working with people who have done wrong and the people they have wronged or the the harmer and the harmed. And as a facilitator, you work with both parties, to help them talk through what has happened and what repair of that harm would look like. And if the process works, then you also end up with bringing those both parties together to work together to repair the harm. Um, This happens alongside the criminal justice system, so it's often applied in situations where someone has has committed a crime against another and actually can happen in the full spectrum of things from, um, something where it was like, you know, some unpleasant text messages between people who had been friends up to the levels of homicide and the most serious wrongs. And it's a very simple process that essentially takes people through questions, reflections, sharing, having their story witnessed, having their um, experience acknowledged and the ownership of what repair to that harm looks like being given. Because I think so often with the criminal justice system, um, there's a prison sentence or there's a fine or there's community service or whatever it is. That doesn't necessarily address the hurt that's happened to the person wrong. Yes. It doesn't necessarily answer their questions. It doesn't necessarily mean they see, they feel seen or acknowledged in their pain. Yes. They don't necessarily want that particular punishment to be what happens. Um, And similarly for the person who did the wrong, um, that system does not necessarily involve rehabilitation or uh healing for them in any way um so yeah so a restorative process um as a facilitator you're working with both parties to help them eventually work together to repair and this now gets used um not just alongside sort of criminal justice work but also in schools and organizations and communities um the sort of theory and practice at its heart is applicable in almost any situation mm. where any conflict arises mm. so it's really um simple and broad in its reach uh and i think for myself a lot of what i find um really interesting and fulfilling about this work is the sh- the shared essence that i'm curious about across the board really of just the power of people being witnessed yes of people feeling heard yes. feeling seen how much just the sharing of our experience and that being acknowledged can have huge um, impact and yes. positivity. Uh, where so often I think there's a da- the damage is when we don't feel seen, we don't feel um, validated or understood in who we are. Yes. And that, yeah. So I'm doing quite a bit of work with restorative practice. Facilitators yes. um, running workshops that start with stories as the starting point to then go into discussion and exploration of the work or of their lived experience or their own stories. Does that make sense? Joe? it does. I'm aware yeah. I've gone on so, quite a ramble. No, but it was
0: it was a pretty comprehensible ramble. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, That was a pretty clear one.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, so recently I was at a conference in Greenwich of restorative um, practitioners from lots of different contexts. And yeah, this the, just this lush, totally lush experience of offering some very short traditional stories that have at their heart the themes of restorative work. So these stories are about meeting conflict with compassion, about humanizing people, about seeing through the destructive behavior to the heart that's, um, off, that's in all of us. Yes. Um, and then with those stories as starting points and they give a shared language for talking about things because they give metaphor and symbol so suddenly you can be talking about the two wolves inside each of us or you can be talking about um the equivalent of those different characters meeting by that fire and and then people are just off and running and into the realms of god there was this time when this happened for me or i observed this thing and participant in this process was just like this person in the story and they were facing this exact challenge and the glass mountain felt like this time when they just couldn't get through this wall of shame or whatever it is yes um so for me the there's a deep pleasure in offering a little story that cracks open a whole ton of um thought and uh yeah kind of fresh insights into stuff that we have experienced.
0: Yes, so in that context, the story is something that cracks open a room full of professionals yeah. into a discussion with enough guts that it matches or is at least on a conversational footing mm. with the intensity of the conversations they'll be facilitating when people bring their hurts and their mm. hurts and their wrongs for for witnessing and they're trying to get people together and seeing each other over that. Yes. So that, that's really clear. And in the context of the actual restorative work, the story in question is the story of what happened.
1: Mm. Yeah, I guess for me, the offering of the traditional story is kind of Maybe to help give a language for talking about what you're working with. Yes. If that makes sense.
0: Would you ever offer a traditional story while in direct reparative work?
1: So I haven't, but I'm really curious to know if other people will. Mm. Um, and I'd love to get to a point where that felt manageable. I think it's very responsive. So I offered the story of the two soldiers in this recent workshop, which maybe I can just tell quickly, Joe, so it's less like abstract. There's this huge war, where it feels like the whole world is at each other's throats, one side against another, like these two firestorms. And they fight and they kill and they fight and they kill and they fight and they kill and they die until all that's left is one battlefield. And the, remain, the remnants of the two sides face each other on this battlefield. The sun comes up and the killing begins. And they fight and they kill and they fight and they kill all day until the sun goes down. And when the sun sets, the surviving soldiers wheel around to see who's left and realise they are only two, one from each side but the sun has set, night has set in, and they'll have to decide with this final duel, the outcome of that whole war in the morning. So both soldiers set about trying to find enough fuel in this place of debris and death to make a little fire to keep warm. And neither can gather quite enough to make their own. They're so a kind of unspoken agreement. They pool what they've found and sit either side of this little yellow flickering flame. And they're huddled against the cold and it's too cold to sleep. And so conversation slowly starts. One soldier says, When I kill you in the morning, I can't wait to turn my feet for home. We're at that time of year and the harvest and I'm worried that without me there my family won't get in enough food for the winter. the other soldier looking sideways at the ground when I kill you in the morning I can't wait to go home. I live on the coast and the storms are coming in and I need to be there to help with the boats. And with these two offerings, conversation begins. And over the course of that long cold night, both soldiers find themselves sharing the lives they wish to go home to, the lives they've lived, the things they've seen in the war, the hopes and the dreams and the longings and the regrets. The sun finally rises in the east. The day dawns, the final battle, this duel that will decide the war. And both men Get up, put on their armour and leave. And there is this phrase that an enemy is someone whose story you haven't heard yet. So I opened the workshop with this story. And it was so lovely because I then was like, So, you know, turn to the person next to you, have a think about just share whatever comes from hearing this, and then we'll share back a little bit. And the first person to share back, she was like, Doesn't matter if nothing else happens in this workshop, I'm taking this story and I'm telling it to all the children that I work with because she does restorative work in a school. She's like, Every single one of them, I'm going to sit them down, I'm going to tell them this story, (laughs) and I think it will make a big difference. So it was so nice, this sense of like, Yes. Often the story can do the work that explanation struggles to do. Um, And so I haven't yet used it in restorative practice, but I'd love to. And I hope that with the workshops that I'm running, that might be an offering that people want to take. Um, So I guess, again, yeah, speaking to what we were talking about earlier, Joe, like, I think stories give us shorthand a lot of the time for other ways, for things where otherwise we just get lost in trying to find a way to communicate a concept. Um, I think the stories can give us the experiential thing.
0: So much that goes from there. Mm. And I'm going to reflect what I can in the time before my brain melts. Okay. <laughs> and then I will pass the microphone back
1: okay, to you. Okay, great. <laughs> <we> time it? <laughs> the brain
0: melting. <laughs> no, the brain melting, it's very clear when it happens. There's no need to measure well, no, it. It's well, just no. like when it's gone, it's gone. Um, the image has common ground. Mm. the image as a way of encountering what is deeply personal in the way it presents, Mm. in a way that tells the truth that the sharpness, the poignancy, the clarity, the joy and the threat of those most Mm. deeply personal experiences Mm. is their very universality. Mm. Done a group for writers recently that has had a more personal element in it But we have explored that through writing story and writing poetically. Mm. And that translation of personal experience into image Mm. has made it no less personal, but it has put it into the space between in a way that removes the me or you-ness of it
1: Mm.
0: without robbing either party of the poignancy of the experience. And that need to know that, the need to know that this intensity of experience is also going on beyond the self. Mm. One, okay, Tempest's lines has been stalking me while we've been talking. Know yeah. the wolves that hunt you in time, they will be the dogs that bring your slippers.
1: That's Love them so right, nice.
0: and they will kiss you when they come to bite. Hot snouts digging out your cuddles with their bloody muzzles. There's a beautiful
1: line by Brandy Carlyle, a lyric in one of her songs that just says, I have suffered for the peace inside my mind. Which I really love. That first bit about the dogs. The the wolves, that hound that become the dogs. This thing of, like, all, all the fire... All the pain is moving us towards um, wellness somehow. I find that line very beautiful. Uh, and it also just makes me think of this, of the Rumi poem, Joe, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it.
0: Flippin' heck.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we've invited in some mighty, some mighty voices. Um, yeah, that I also really love.
0: Yeah, K Tempest chatting to Rumi.
1: Chatting to Rumi, as they do. <laughs> yes, but absolutely, yeah, it is. It's the image, picture language, the language of the soul. Yeah. And I was having a lovely conversation with two friends who were staying recently. They're a couple, but they um, are from different countries, so they their shared language is English, where that's not their mother tongue for either of them. Um, And although they're trying to get to know each other's mother tongues, like they were both saying there's just some stuff that when your partner's not fluent in your language, it's really hard. And therefore they turn to image a lot. They do a lot of being like, okay, I can't tell you in the words of my language how I'm feeling right now, so I will tell you through through an image. And they're just really practicing that Mm. as sort of... um, Bread and butter for their mm. for their communication, and it yeah, I think that's a big part of what it's about
0: that is that's actually amazing mm. my partner and I are both first language English speakers, mm. and still, if we can just stop and say what the picture is, yeah without imposing on it the logic even of a sentence Mm. that clarifies things Mm. in a way that negotiation doesn't, explaining doesn't, trying to find out whether we're on the same page. Now, just what's the picture in your mind about this? Mm. How do you see this?
1: Mm.
0: Not explain how you see this. Yeah. But what do you see when you see this? What's the picture?
1: Mm.
0: That's a really profound shift between people, I think is what you're clarifying for me at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, I have suffered for the peace inside my mind. Well, isn't it then so necessary to have ways to contain and to experience that suffering. Mm. So we have life, but we also need rituals Mm. of enacting that, Mm. you know, whether it's just a broken pot of honey or something the Greek tragedy thing of Mm. being moved to fear and pity, Mm. you know.
1: I think often the image making can um, bring a lovely uh, tablespoon of acceptance with it, right? So it's, I was again talking to a friend a little while ago who was like, she's like, I'm just, this is, I'm at this point in my life where there's so much going on and it's full on and I'm really like in the throes of it and I need to find the image. She's like, I need to find an image that helps me capture how I feel right now. Um, she was almost like itchy for it and we talked around it and we did settle on an image and I think the image that she settled on um, was like tumbleweed, like being this kind of loose, brittle thing that's really just being buffeted. Um, And hasn't currently got any strong sense of nourishment in it. It's just... And needing to find this place to land and root and regain sustenance. Um, And as soon as she sort of found that image for herself, she was like, oh, it feels better. (laughs) Now I know what I'm working with. Uh, And I've been feeling the same for myself recently, I think. Some moments where strong images come. And it's like, okay... Now I know what this is, mm. uh, and I think, it, and again, you know, speaking exactly what you've just been talking about, Joe. It's like when we can do that for each other. Somehow, yeah, we maybe are, find it easier to accept another person's image than we do what they might say instead. No no I'm not sure what I'm, maybe this whole bit That made that right. a
0: lot of sense to me actually. Okay. Um like you if you were if you were to back that statement, I would agree with it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it's just we we can't deny how something feels for another person, but the image helps us understand it. Yes, I think. Um if someone just says I might I feel angry, There's maybe a hundred reasons why they shouldn't or why their anger is not justified in our minds or um, not helpful or like, well, I don't want you to feel angry. If a person says, you know, this thing makes me feel like I'm holding fists full of fire and it's shaking my arms and shaking my chest. um, For me, I I guess it feels like, well, now I just know what you're working with so I can there's somewhere to go from here. Fascinating conversation recently with Sandra Barefoot, who works for the Forgiveness Project, Mm. who are absolutely worth checking out if you don't know their work. Um, A core of what they do is gathering stories from around the world of times when people have found forgiveness or acceptance or humanised people who have done them the most terrible wrongs or where they have suffered something tragic and awful and then found a way through it um and Sandra was talking about we were talking generally around this question of when do you share your story when do you share your story in response to another person's story how in Covid we all did a lot of oh I can't be having a hard time because I'm better off than all these other people um, a, de- a denial of our own grief and our own struggles is often a response with this sense of someone else is going through something worse so I don't have the right to my trickiness and Sandra was saying about you know someone she's been working with who's been through the unimaginable in terms of their loss and their suffering and how this person said don't make me an island don't leave me here in this pedestal of you can't share any woe with me because my woe is worse because that leaves me isolated in this prison of my own, like, ivory tower pain. I need to know your stories. I need to know what's going on for you. Even if it's that you, like, stubbed your toe on the way into the bathroom. It, The sharing of hurt is where we find comfort. Mm. Not in being left alone in ours as deemed more worthy or more extreme um, so I think very much that that the the sharing of stories is really important that spoke there was something particular in what you said Joe, that made me think of that conversation um, other things that have fallen into my mind as you've been talking going back to Rumi again and Rumi's amazing poem um, out beyond right doing and wrong doing there is a field I will meet you there when the soul lies down in that grass the world is too big to talk about or something like that i can never remember if i've got it quite right and i think there's another couple of lines on the end as well but it makes me wonder if if the language of that field is image language right that the that when we're meeting in that place it's because we're uh, perhaps we're talking more strongly in images than we are in labels yeah and there was something else you spoke of that I wanted to reply to but I think it's gone um yeah I'm sorry Joe. I'd need to like listen back or, that's, or that's, say something else that's if awesome
0: else. and mm. I don't think it matters how we got there mm. because that would that would be an awesome concluding statement
1: <laughs> yeah
0: um yeah Thank you for coming on. Thank you for, for having making me. this Thank time. Thank you for talking to me
1: and for the um, writing exercises. Which
0: yeah, that was fun. Mm. I think that was two and a half of six potential podcasts. <laughs> I would warmly invite you to have another go yeah. if you would like at some point yeah, yeah. Um, to. Yeah, to take some of those avenues not taken. Mm, Um, mm, I've mm. loved this because it has rewritten all my preconcepts of what the conversation was going to be. So I've got something new out of today, which is awesome. Um, How do people find out where you will be smuggling joy (laughs) sneaking
1: images (laughs) sneaking images
0: um transforming suffering into peace like what what, where do they yeah 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 all right no that's sorry i shouldn't we don't want to i wouldn't i yeah i I will be i will lay that expectation on my worst enemy (laughs) um but anyway how do people find out because obviously this is an asynchronous medium how does the person you know um half asleep on a train in three years time uh find out where to find you
1: yeah of course so um, my website is hannahmore.co.uk yes um and more is two o's re and then um email wise Storyteller at gmail.com is a good way to get in touch as well uh i am on facebook Without really wishing to be. Yeah, I've well, not then, let's not t- then, then let's not talk about Facebook. <laughs> but it is useful because I put stuff on there all okay. the time. Okay. Yes, all right. So where are you on Facebook? <laughs> yes. Uh, Hannah Moore is okay. the name. Um, but yeah, and that's probably, I haven't engaged in any other platforms mm, yet. Mm. So those are good ones.
0: Yeah. Mm. So Hannah, for this time and for these stories, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Thank you again to Hannah for her stories and her humorous seriousness. You can find out where she's telling and what she's making at hannahmoore.co.uk A growing tree of meaning forms this podcast. If you want to be a pen friend of the podcast, I'll write to you and share what I learned from tending it. The links that emerge between the conversations. The insights that blossom after them. I'll let you know about opportunities to write together as they come up, whether that be free workshops or long-course deep dives. Go to movingwiththepen.com penfriend and enter your email to make it happen.